the Far Post podcast. We are back for another Express Post from the Women's World Cup. I'm so tired, my dudes. We've had one semi-final. We've got another to go. We only have three games at the time of recording left of the World Cup. We're recording on a Wednesday. And it's just like, what do you mean the World Cup's almost done? I don't understand. Um, But obviously... We are so excited to talk about some semi-final action from last night. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. But for today's Express Post, you have me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So the match we have to talk about today is the first semi-final. And we had Spain defeating Sweden 2-1. So... Spain are through to a final. Uh, Sweden are in the third place playoff. Um, friends, what's what are your takes on this semi-final? What are your takes on Spain making it to the final? The way they did it, it feels like there was, what, 80 minutes of football and then nine, uh, 10 minutes of like, ah, it's happening, everything's happening. So like, <laughs> um, tell me, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? How do you, how do we, how do we feel about this moment for Spain? Because anyone who's been paying attention to women's football at the international level for the last couple of years knows that there is a lot of tension and a lot of, um, difficulty with this Spain team behind the scenes. Um, we've spoken about it on the pod before. The head coach, Jorge Vilda, um, is intensely disliked by uh, a portion of Spain's national team. Um, Several of them stepped aside before the World Cup started. They refused to be called up by him. Some of them came out of that boycott for their own reasons that they haven't necessarily articulated publicly. Um, And now they've made it all the way to a final. And I think for a lot of people who uh, have been following this story for a while, it's it's really hard to feel happy about it. It's really hard to to celebrate this moment for a country that has produced some of the best footballers in history because of the circumstances in which they've done it. And I think one of the big questions sort of coming out of particularly Twitter at the moment is, you know, will this result, will Spain reaching the World Cup final act as a kind of vindication of Vilda and the way in which he's um, uh, gone about uh, creating this team and this culture that has not um, seemingly allowed these players to, to flourish Um because yeah, like it's it, and it's a it's it's difficult because how do you know whether the players have done this because of him or how many of them have done it despite him? Uh, it's it's something that I don't think we'll ever really know unless the players themselves who've got all the way to this point come out after the tournament and and sort of um, talk about their experiences. But yeah, it's it's really it's hard to feel um, it's hard to feel happy. I felt quite deflated actually when Spain won the semi-final against Sweden. Um, and that was partly also to do with Sweden. I think Sweden are a, they're a good team. They're a, a, a team that has always been 
there or thereabouts when it comes to major tournaments, so they've always fallen at the final hurdle. Um, so it's it's a real disappointment to to see them go. But at the same time, Spain were probably the better team in terms of the football on the field that we saw, and you know the scoreline sort of tells that story as well. But yeah, it's all the stuff off the field that makes it really hard to get hyped about them. Yeah, uh, and no, it was not a particularly interesting game for the most part. Yeah. Um, Marissa, you were saying pre-pod that, yeah, Sweden are a bit erratic in, which, you know, which side shows up, whereas Spain are consistent. So there's some things to take away for that, from that going into today's game and the possible outcomes. But, yeah, it, like... Honestly, the drama of the meat raffle at the pub we were at was more uh, lively <laughs> um, than than what was happening during the game. Uh, it was quite a dramatic re- meat raffle, though, to be fair. <laughs> there was like a torn up ticket. My dad heckled the bar. The bartender was doing the announcement, which was a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, Um but yeah, and the last 10 minutes were, yes, frantic, frantic. And I feel, I, I personally feel like there was some interesting decisions with the referee and there was a moment in the last, I want to say last two minutes of the game where Lena Hurtig chased down the ball on the right wing um, and Olga fell over. Like from what the vision I could see, she was not touched. Um, and it was a free given to Spain when it should have been a corner for Sweden. And it's like small moments like that, but also the defensive brain part for Sweden on that second goal. Mm. Um, there was like a mosquito fleet of like Spanish players near the back post. And it just, and just a few things like that. It's, it's a shame. I don't know. And the Spanish side, like, it does, um, my dad was saying, like, individual brilliance as well. So, para, mm. is it para yellow? Am I saying that correctly? Para yellow, her, she's been fantastic this tournament. Mm. And it does, in a lot of ways, kind of feel like that for this Spanish side. Like, they do, it's annoying because I, I want to, I've, really enjoyed their football at the 2019 World Cup. I really enjoyed watching them at the Euros. But as this situation has you know, developed, it's just, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. Like you're playing interesting or like possession-based sexy football, but I don't care anymore, right? Like it's hard to be, enjoy it, like knowing what we know about the context of the pitch. Um, So, hmm, yeah, it's a bit, and I don't know, yeah, Jorge Builder, whoop. We're haters on this podcast, I think it's <laughs> fair to say. Um, and there's, I think, Marissa, you've talked about this as well, but the frustrating thing is if you are coming at this from a surface like level and you, don't necess- you haven't necessarily talked to people close to the situation or who have a lot of knowledge about it or you haven't done your research, this is, he looks like, like the endorsement is there. I think that's also like quite a, um, that's quite a specific way of looking at uh, teams and coaches and the relationship between them to be like the, the 
man at the head of this is the mastermind, obviously. Mm. Um, to, and to make that assumption if you don't have the full context behind them. But at the same time, yeah, it's the kind of endorsement that this gives him is very frustrating. Um, and yeah, it was, I was talking because we, you mentioned, I think the last pod, like the players swerving builder after mm. the last win. Mm. And my dad's like, I'm going to go back and watch and see, like, check it in the other games to see if that's the case. But if, I, I don't know. I'll see what he finds out if he does end up doing that. But, yeah, it's hard to – I imagine maybe in 10 years' time we'll get, like, a expose documentary where the people involved, the players involved will come out and explain. But they've got too much to lose at this point in time mm. and players have already lost so much by not – and it's, yeah, it's just sad. It kind of feels like grieving a little bit because this Spanish team – it's the Spanish team that's not here as well that aren't getting, I can't imagine how that feels right now to be yeah. like, yeah, they've done it without me. What is, there's like the internal reflection of what does that say about me as a player, but also what does that, like, I'm, you're not a part of that moment either. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What's been really frustrating as well Sorry. is like watching um, and reading a lot of, let's be frank, male opinions about how, reaching the world cup final with this team is um it's 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 almost like a it, it launders almost the reputation of of vilda um because the results on the pitch and i think this is a very men's football um lens to place on it the results on the pitch justify what's happened often because like results are the most important thing um and that's what's really hard to, uh, I guess, suppose separate here um, is is trying to reframe that conversation and trying to get other people to understand that, you know, a, a team performing on the pitch um, in that kind of way do- doesn't and shouldn't vindicate the way that they've been treated off it. It shouldn't be the, the, the measure that sort of the yardstick that we use. It shouldn't be the way that we measure um, these kinds of things. And like a lot of those opinions have been coming from like very um, high profile people. Jonathan Pierce is one of them. I've noticed um, there were some, uh, a couple of commentators on the game itself, I think who said some comments like that too. Um, and so like, how do we, how do we, I don't know. How do we talk about this now? Because I feel like because it's a World Cup final, we we start to, in the media landscape, we're starting to see more and more big names, largely male names, big personalities with big voices coming to this this space, which is not necessarily theirs, but they're here because it's a big moment. And they bring with it a very different understanding of the way that the game works and how um, the things on and off the pitch are, interrelated um but i think it's you know seeing the the reaction from pretty much every single person i know in women's football like we're all aligned i think on what this is and how it feels and um it's it's just frustrating that we're all still kind of having to scream at people above us to pay more attention to what's been happening. Like, it's not like this has been hidden. Like this has been written about by so many people, but it's largely been written about by women um, and and in ways and um, in formats maybe that are not as traditional, I suppose, um, in terms of football media. So, 
Yeah, I'm just, and Angela, I think you make a really good point as well about like how must the players who have maintained their stance and and are still outside of the team, how must they be feeling about this? Like I, I hope that they still feel um, like they did the right thing. And I think a lot of people uh, who've been following this story for a while will still back them up in that and still believe that they've done the right thing because they have. Ultimately, they have. But when you have a moment like this and you know the um, the rusted-on kind of structure of the Spanish Federation and the relationship between Builder and those people in power, it's it mu- they must feel very powerless, I think, in this moment because ultimately Spain reaching the World Cup final in these circumstances is just going to cement this dynamic and it's just going to um, further... Uh, reinforce Vilda's position I think I don't like I highly doubt the Federation are going to sack him after getting to this stage unless the players and this is the other thing unless the players come out themselves and say something but it is so unfair to put that on the players it shouldn't have to be them in the same way that Manchester United's women's players shouldn't be the ones who have to be consulted about the Mason Mm -hmm. Greenwood thing it shouldn't be on the backs of women to make these decisions Um, it's completely unfair so yeah, so but I think at the same at the same weird time, it almost feels like whoever whoever of the Matildas in England make the World Cup final, I feel like the entire world is going to be supporting them because they don't want Spain to win because of Builder. So that in itself will be an interesting dynamic, I suppose. I don't think we've had a pod this deflated. For like, I know, I know. <laughs> and especially for like a non-Tillies context, like obviously we've been sad um, previously when talking about the Matildas and things like that, but like, my God, we have never had a pod this deflated um, when talking about football. But yeah, I just keep thinking about friend of the pod, Alex Ibiceta, and what she told us obviously in our Spain preview before this World Cup started and about mm-hmm. just the the tension of like, you, you never want to actively root against your country. You never actively want your team to do poorly. But if that's the only way for things to potentially change, that's a, that's a heavy kind of thing to have on your mind. So, yeah, I just I feel a lot for the Spanish um, players and fans and just everyone and what this could mean for Spanish women's football heading forward because um, Spain are notorious for keeping managers in power way too long. Like their first coach was in power from about 88 to 2015, which is obscene. Um, And they didn't do anything. So it definitely wasn't because he was a good coach. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I also have anxieties about I think that what this says to the larger kind of football, women's football landscape because we've talked so much on this pod, like we've had teams that have successed in spite of their federations at at this tournament. Mm. Um, And like you were saying, Sam, like having someone, I think on one one level there will be people who debate whether Jorge Vilda's like coaching practices or his approach are like bad 
in and of themselves or will believe or not believe the players and have their own opinions about that. But even if you were to be like, oh, well, he's not a particularly good coach, his that results-based focus sort of implies that, well, then it's fine mm. though. Like having it like him being super controlling, that's fine because it gets results or whatever, even yeah. though there's no real evidence, even I'm not sure how you'd be able to kind of quantify that. Sorry, PhD student looking at it, but um, quantify, like make that correlation or, mm-hmm. or relationship or make that argument. But um, yeah, I don't, and it just comes, I'm just like, I, I don't know. Surely it just comes back to, sure, you would want, you want, it's about player welfare and people being able to do their jobs in safe environments and environments that um, look after them. And so it's like, if there's like some kind of, you know, alternative universe where there's a coach who's not a prick in charge of this team and they're not doing well, like that's, that's That's preferred. Yeah. 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 Like I would prefer um, like, what, what is it Wandy Randy Weldrum Randy Waldrum yeah, I love Nigeria. that man yep. I love that man and the way he stands up for his players and mm. like that kind of you, we need people like that in this landscape totally. and it's really important and yeah I even though and yeah I think this tournament has also pointed to like just because you've given people the bare minimum or you haven't respected or honored or you know protected players they can still succeed, but that success is not necessary. Like imagine what they could do if they were not in that context mm. and had, you know, a much better environment around them. Mm. But, you know, ugh. and it, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, I feel like the traditional or traditional, I say that in quotation marks, but views about sport and what, how a coach should be. And, um, I feel like we kind of see it, those two things clash a little bit in, in moments like this where, mm. you know, the, the culture around women's football and women's sport has been different um, and there are different values and there are different ways of coaching that have come out of that. Uh, so, yeah, that's always an interesting thing and always a tension I'm kind of grappling with in women's sport again is like do we just do it like the men do it or Mm. just because men like coaching in men's football has had different has been different that that doesn't mean it's good but Mm. anyway sorry that was a bit of a garbled rabbit hole to disappear down but yes that's my concern that other federations around the world will will see this and be like well you, we shouldn't listen to players. Collective mm. action, well, that's whatever. Mm. Because look what Spain did. And look and, what the yeah. RFEF are doing. Mm. They've got the right idea. Yeah. And ultimately, like, it's it's the players who you really feel for. The players who both aren't here, but also the players who are here. Because they all know that this is going on. They've been part of this, like, shitstorm in the background. And there are some players like Alexia Pateas who was supportive of the original boycott but who chose to represent Spain anyway and is now caught in this incredible moral quagmire where, yes, she's reached a World Cup final, maybe her last ever, and yet it's going to be completely overshadowed by this feeling of betrayal of these players and these friends and these teammates 
who she left behind in order to do this. Like, I don't know how you can reconcile yourself with that. Um, and I think she's really struggling with it as well. And like when she, there was the, a video that um, has been making the rounds online of Pateas when she was subbed off against Sweden um, and she came over to the bench and one of the assistant coaches reached out to give her a high five and she just swiped his hand away and sat down on the bench and had just like a little pat from a teammate and was just sitting there on her own. Like you don't, you don't want a world cup to be that you don't want a, a tournament or a moment like this to feel like that for its players, for the players who've got them there. Um, so that's, and this, and it's just, it feels so grating. It feels so um, antithetical to the larger feeling of this tournament as well. Like this, this world cup, is so so positive in so many ways for so many people and yet there are still reminders with Spain being the biggest but also a couple of other nations including those from Africa that there is still this huge battle that is being fought behind the scenes like we can we can have this this big shiny thing that everyone loves and everyone flocks to and that feels, I mean, particularly in the lens of the Matildas, that feels so incredible and so indescribable. But at the same time, you've got these other dark parts that are on the flip side of this moment. That, And even that, I think, is really difficult for those of us who are in the middle of this and, and wanting, to, um, wanting to enjoy it. Because it's hard to enjoy it when you're reminded that this stuff is still happening. I think we need to change the topic just because <laughs> I'm so bummed right now. <laughs> um, just a quick word on Sweden, I suppose. Like a lot of the conversation has been about how they've made it to another semi-final, but not been able to push through that final barrier. There is very much a um, always the bridesmaid kind of vibe, and that's something that we see not just at the World Cup, but across major tournaments like we've had it at the olympics as well um i I don't know the euros numbers off my head but i would you know feel like pretty safe in guessing that it has been the story there as well so how do we look at this sweden side what what do they need to do what needs to change are we even the right people to answer that question i don't know like um just yeah, because obviously they're, they're obviously a good enough team. Like you don't keep making major tournament semifinals and finals if you're not a good team. But like, mm-hmm. what is it about them that they just can't get their hands on the biggest trophy or the best medal? It's a really good question. That's I mean that's that's the big golden question I think for Sweden, isn't it? Like, I I haven't necessarily been impressed with them this World Cup. Um, and I've been trying to figure out why. And I think part of it is what was mentioned earlier in the sense that they're not consistent. They feel like a very random team. They feel like a team that have progressed, particularly in this World Cup, but not so much in the Olympics. I think in the Olympics, it was a different story. But in this World Cup, they progress kind of through um, chaos a little bit, uh, aside from just thumping the teams that were clearly much worse than they were. They 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 didn't really look like a very convincing side they didn't really look like they knew um exactly what to do and they didn't really look like a team that had a clear identity I suppose um in terms of their football apart from being tall (laughs) 
which you know I can get on board with that personally, but I, it's 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 hard to like aside from the Japan game, I don't really think that they played in a way that was memorable. Um, which I know that that's not necessarily mm. the, the thing that uh, like the the secret sauce that you need to get results or to get major trophies, but I feel like it kind of is at the same time. You kind of need to know who you are and you need to have that um, that sense of identity and belief in your own identity as well. And it just doesn't really seem like Sweden have that. And maybe it, it's it's hard to know sort of where they go from here because on the one hand, they have a, a couple of really great young players coming through, but they're also like, they're a little bit old now. And I feel like this was the last World Cup of for this particular generation all in their peak years. Mm. Um and and Tokyo was as well, I think. Like this this two to three year period, I think, was the period for Sweden. Um, but they haven't been able to do it. They just haven't been able to get <laughs> over that fight. They just haven't had they also haven't had, I think what differentiates them from the 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 other teams that have made it to the semifinals is that they haven't really had like a seriously game gripping player. They haven't mm. really had like the superstar who can change something. They've tried. They had like they I mean does Lena Hurti count as that person? I I don't know. <laughs> probably not, but you know what I mean? Like they haven't really had that 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 kind of extra spark to them. They've always kind of been a bit of a monotone team to me. And maybe that's just because they're all white and blonde and they all kind of blend into each other in my mind, but um yeah they just haven't really had this the this the special thing and i think in a a similar way to the usa the kind of the um uh the way in which people have been assessing and analyzing the way that the usa played in this tournament is that one of their major pitfalls was that they weren't able to um adapt they weren't able to be flexible in like technically and tactically they weren't sort of able to to look at the game in front of them and have the players be able to solve problems in smart ways. And I feel like Sweden suffered from that a little bit as well. Um, they kind of just continued to barrel through a team and hope that that worked. And that's not really the way to navigate a tournament. Um, but they got to the semifinal, so I don't know. What do I know? Yeah. It's, you make a really good point. I just looked up the kind of ages of the players. And they haven't had... Uh, a young player who's caught people's attention. They don't, I think mm. their youngest player is 22, which is illustrated. I just had it up. I don't know why I went away from it. Here we go. The youngest player for this Sweden side is 26, Rebecca Blomkist. Wow. Who played last night. No. Hannah Benison's in the team. And she's like early 20s. But she didn't play last night. Oh, okay. No. I That's thought true. you meant the yeah. squad, the, sorry. She doesn't play very much even. Yeah, in the, in the squad. So I suppose, yeah, it feels like maybe it's time for a bit of a shake-up and I assume this is the time, you know, after this World Cup that they will need to start rebuilding. And mm-hmm. as we've <laughs> experienced in Australia, it's a it's a long process to find the talent and to build a team, not just to find good players mm-hmm. and throw them in the mix, but actually... Yeah, build a team and find the right system and that requires experimentation and all of those kinds of things. And with the Olympics next year, I don't know. that Will they? They will qualify. The Olympics is for European teams is the top three at the World Cup. Is that – am I remembering that correctly? Uh, yes. Good question. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's a funny contrast because they have weird. a much more involved qualification process for the World Cup than other nations. Mm. But 
Olympics. And it's just good. like, it translates over, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're like, can't be bothered with that faff again. All right, let's just... <laughs> Whereas we have to go through Olympic qualifiers yeah. in Asia. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm not ready Inter- to go through that, but that's... that's <clears> remember right. that? That's, that's like... at the end of this year. Yeah, that's October oh. in Perth. Perth. Beautiful Perth. Um, I don't really have any takes on Peter Gohardson. I love him. That- I, I think his vibes are excellent. The yeah. fact that he tried to leave that press conference through a utility into a closet. <laughs> like my king. And but, the whole thing about bumblebees. Those are the only two things that I'll ever remember about this man. Yeah, but he came into, he was appointed in 2017. So I wonder if it is, you know, time. Not mm. in the sense that it's like he's done badly. Of, mm. But again, how do you assess it if you're constantly getting close but never going the whole way? Yeah. I don't know what that says. I, I also don't know too much. A friend of the pod, Mia Erickson, might be able to explain this for us if mm. we want to do a post-mortem, mm. post-World Cup. But the how what the kind of culture is in Sweden around appointing coaches and if you just if you're doing a good enough job, do you just hang do you just stay or is it like a, a Vlatko kind of situation where it's like, well, Mm. You yeah, yeah. call it quits early while you can, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, two thousand seven—that's six years. Uh, yeah, seems like there might be time for a a refresh. Mm. I don't know what else can you do. You can't just keep doing the same thing. And surely, yeah, yeah a lot of these players will be looking to retire or will have retired by the next World Cup. Yeah, so they will. Mm. Yeah. Um, we're going to move right along because we need to do a quick vibe check on tonight's game, which is the Tillies taking on England. It is Wednesday. Yeah. It is about 1pm we are recording. Um, how are we feeling before the uh, first ever World Cup semi-final for an Australian national team? I I woke up feeling an incredible sense of calm and like, yeah, like a, like a, I was trying to explain this to Angela earlier. I almost don't really care what happens tonight because the Matildas getting to this point has already done so much that we usually associate with winning a World Cup, you know? Like they've already left this extraordinary legacy. They've already inspired and united and all of those key words that they keep talking about. They've already done it. That France game felt like the World Cup final in that way. Like the way that they did that game, the way that they pushed through all the way to the end, the way that they won it. It it I don't know if if they can play if 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 that can ever happen again. You know, like that game felt like it it, it encapsulated everything that we wanted to see from this team and it 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 had the the ripple effect on the rest of the country that we had always wanted to it to have. Um, so coming into this game against England, like I'm kind of like I like these are two these are two national teams that have kind of had very similar moments in the last two years. Like when England hosted the Euros mm-hmm. and they won that, they they had a very similar like almost an eerily similar and perhaps even the same approach to that moment, which was that you know, they, the language that they used in terms of the pressure of hosting and you know, expectation, whatever, they flipped it on its head and said, no, this isn't pressure. This is inspiration. This is like the country believing in us. And they use that 
as fuel to get them all the way to the end. But I feel like even if they hadn't got all the way to the end, they still would have done that. They still would have been able to have that kind of impact. And that's, I feel like what, that's exactly what the Matildas are going through at the moment. Like they've already, they've already won in so many ways. Like it doesn't really matter how much further they go in my eyes because they've already achieved all the stuff that a deep run in a tournament is meant to achieve for a country. So I just hope it's a really good game. I hope it's an exciting game. Like, yeah, I hope we win. Of course, I hope that we win. But if we don't, I'm not really going to be too hung up about it because, like, they've already done everything that we wanted from them. Yeah. I'm not too stressed. I don't think England won it. (laughs) I don't think England won it. (laughs) They also don't have Aussie DNA. And they're also silliness. Oh, like, Tony came up with a really nice... Uh, I think it may have been in the press presser yesterday. Yeah, about this being a moment. The pressure is is not pressure. It's a privilege. Mm. I've butchered it completely. Of course, <laughs> you said it much more eloquently than that. Um, and so yeah, the you know, the England being like, ooh, that might be a bit scary for the Matildas of the the pressure of the whole bar. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! That's so good. I do <laughs> love so my current favorite thing has been like the tennis match between Tony and Serena. Like, I think they're the favorites. They're the host nation. No, I think you're the favorites. You're the current European champions. No, you're the favorites. You've got 75,000 people behind you. Yeah, no, yeah. You're the favorites. You're her- oh my god, your ranking is higher than ours. Like, just none of them. England may not want it, but neither of these two want the favoritism tag. But like, and I, no. I realize I can't say this as an Australian, but I do think England should be viewed as the favorites in this. Yeah, game. of course they should. Yeah, um, because they did win the fucking Euros. Like, pardon my language, but Jesus Christ, imagine trying to pull the oh, we're just not that highly rated after winning the Euros. Tony, I think Tony made some really good points actually when he was asked about this whole thing yesterday. Like he 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 sort of boiled it down to um, like comparing the the resources and the players. So when you look at on paper, comparing the squads and these two teams, England's starting eleven and their finishing eleven or whatever, they're all starting players at the best clubs in the best league in the world, which is in England. They are all full-time professionals and they have the, the investment and the resources of the of the federation that I think Tony's, com- like his comparison was that their women's program has more money than Football Australia's entire national team's program mm-hmm. for the men and the women. And so the Lionesses have more money than what the entire Football Australia does. So that sort of puts it into context, I think, in terms of the... Um, the um, like what the lionesses have behind the scenes and and how that has um created perhaps um a, like a stronger base from which to start um and in terms of the matildas as well like we've got starting players who are playing like in sweden we've got some players who play in the a league women we've got you know like on paper those two things don't stack up it's pretty clear which one is is um logically expected to be the favorite in that sense but you know the that like you can't how do you quantify home crowd i mean you can there have been some studies that have tried but like every single matilda that's been asked about it has said that the home crowd is has been crucial 
in them getting over the line. I think they were crucial against Canada. I think they were crucial against Denmark and they were absolutely crucial against France. So like, even if on paper England look like the favourite, I don't necessarily think that that's how it's going to play out because we've seen that happen already here in this tournament. So how well England are able to handle that moment, knowing that they're like, they are the favorite, but they don't have this one special thing that has had such an influence over the way that the Matildas have barreled through this tournament. I think that's going to be the big deciding factor. And I won't be surprised if the Matildas win, to be honest, based on that. Like I, 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 I think that, you know, England at the same time as being um, sort of carrying almost the weight of being Euros winners, they're also carrying the weight of being England, you know, like, you know what I mean? Carrying the weight of being Pom. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like they take it so seriously. They take this so seriously. And like that was why them winning the Euros was such a big deal. It's like the first England trophy since 66, the, you know, all this sort of historical stuff. And they carry like the weight of that in that jersey as well of being an England team. And I like psychologically, I know that they've probably tried to deal with that behind the scenes, but I almost, I don't feel like the Matildas carry that because we don't really have that same. Why would we? Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> we, we? we don't have that, that precedent. Like they are setting a new precedent. This is the thing. And that's why. Us and our like... two cup of nations, like cop that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Like we don't, we don't have that, that same sense of like the weight of history behind us. We just have like this incredible gust of wind that's pushing us forward, which is. And it can be the thing that decides a game like this, you know. We also have chaos. We do have chaos. You might have your professional league, but do you have Fortress Epping? <laughs> have you, you all, have, have Epping. you all ever played a game at CB Smith Reserve? <laughs> you ever been to Cogra? No, you haven't. I don't you haven't. It. You don't have the circle. You don't have the circle of no dove. circle of dove. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just found the quote that you were talking about, Angela, from Tony. So it was: we don't look at it as pressure. We look at it as a privilege that so many believe, so many people believe in this team. It's fuel and energy. It's not heavy. It carries us up from underneath. And I'm like, damn, Tony, great, feeling it, poetry, feeling it. Um, yeah. So once again. To everyone listening, I hope you're listening on the way to the stadium or the live site or your mate's house or just in your lounge room before you turn on the game, wherever it is. Everything's going to be fine. It's all going to be gravy and, God willing, the Tillies win. Um, Is there anything else we would like to talk about today? Because I have a couple of things that I would like to talk about, if I may. Go ahead. Go. All right. So this is a list of things that have tickled me, basically, in the last two three days uh number one i just say, say that again sorry <laughs> little, little jingle for this segment um the front page of the sydney morning herald this morning had a cartoon of kathy freeman in her 2000 suit high-fiving the matildas as they like meet for this moment of national i gave myself goosebumps just saying that oh my god yeah. i love it i'm obsessed with it um there are other newspapers across the country that have all renamed themselves. So we've got the Herald Sam down in Melbourne. We've got the Courier Mail up in Brisbane. We've got the Daily Telegraph once again in Sydney. Um, in Adelaide, they've donned it the Advertise Cur 
Um, so I'm simply obsessed with it. Like I, it's Nuffcraft and I support it wholeheartedly. Um, speaking of Nuffcraft, a uh, friend of the pod, Isabel Coots, who works for Optus, uh, yeah. you probably saw on social media, she was celebrating Courtney Vine's penalty so big, she dislocated her shoulder. And I <laughs> spoke to her at Matilda's training yesterday because she's there literally in a sling. In a sling. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> and she's like, apparently both of her shoulders are no good. So when she went to go celebrate, she thought to hold her worse shoulder. So that one was fine. Like she braced the shoulder that is not good. And in the process, threw out the other one. Um, so I just like, has anyone, like who else has been injured in the line of duty supporting the Tillies? No one. Well, so- I mean, like, first of all, I, I love the, the, I love putting the body on the line, supporting Literally. the Matildas, just like the players do. I respect Literally. that. Literally. Uh, and also carrying on, I guess it's a tradition now that started with a friend of the pod, Fatima Flores, who almost broke a leg. <laughs> <laughs> In the group stage, celebrating uh, Hayley Rasso's goal against Canada. It's it's incredible. We have to, uh, do we have to continue this tradition? I, I don't know. I prefer my body not broken. You know what it is? We want it. We want it. We want it. We want it, not just players. We want it as a country. We, we want, want more. it. Um, we'll and the final thing I saw was just, and this always tickles me. Like, I love this every time I see it. Uh, a couple of streets around Australia have been, renamed or had some additions added to them so down in Melbourne in Pasco Vale there is an Arnold Court and it now has a little laminated A4 piece of paper with Mackenzie Arnold saving one of the penalties and it literally says this street is hereafter dedicated to Mackenzie Arnold for her service to the country on the 12th of August 2023 in the Australia Brief Grants Women's World Cup quarterfinal and I'm just like like I want a formal plaque like I yeah, love yeah, the yeah, yeah, right. I love this the um very informal laminated piece of paper and <laughs> somewhere in Sydney I don't remember where but there was a Ford Avenue so obviously they've added the Caitlin and it's now Caitlin Ford Avenue. I just I'm so delighted that the nation has collectively decided that there is no other thought than Nuffcraft. Like yeah. everyone is enough. Well, and Darcy Vesco taking selfies with the Darcy Vesco. <laughs> I love and that I- from them. Their face also, they ended up on the big screen at the Canada game, I believe it was, and they were losing their mind. And I was just like, big same, honestly. So good. Um, yeah, the brick wall means- do, You know how in England they've got the, um, the historical blue plaques that mm. they put on like place of like Virginia Woolf and Oscar Wilde and all that we should get like gold plaques and go and and put them in particularly notable places for the Matildas mm-hmm. maybe not their homes of birth that would be creepy but yeah. you know <laughs> I don't know like the stadiums or or uh, I don't know something junior clubs stuff like that could be really junior clubs, good. Junior clubs. um Kogara <laughs> My beloved, my beloved Cogra. I felt so happy to go to Cogra yesterday and just blew a little kiss to the Olympico end. Um, <laughs> did not appreciate people in my mentions being like, oh, your beloved Cogra, are you a Dragons fan? I'm like, fuck them Dragons. I don't give a single shit about your Dragons. 
So to be fair, you should explain why Kogoro is special because not everyone knows. Oh my god, not everyone knows. Oh my god, sit down. Tell us a story, Marissa. Sit down, besties. (laughs) It was 2021. It was April. We went to Kogoro, my beloved, uh, for the W League, the final ever W League grand final between Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC. Sydney FC had like dominated the entire season. Victory were fourth. They finished the season in fourth. Um, And this grand final was the most ridiculous thing I've ever had the pleasure of watching. It was my first ever away day and I absolutely loved it. And these two teams just could not be separated. They could not be separated all through 90 minutes. We went into extra time. They simply could not be separated. I can't remember if it was a windy day, but I don't think it was. But basically, throughout the match, both sides, every time they took a corner, it just looked like it was going to go in straight from the corner. Mm. And I genuinely thought Teresa Polias was going to be the one to just whip one in straight from the corner and Sydney FC would win um, the grand final. But in the 120th minute, the final minute of extra time, Kyra Cooney-Cross steps up to take a corner from the Olympico end right in front of myself and Angela and friends of the pod like Dave and Dale and Tom and Ben and we were all standing there and we're all watching this and then Kyra Cooney-Cross scores an Olympico with like literally one of the final kicks of the game to win the Buck, the dub championship of 2021 and it remains one of the greatest days of my life. Because I I have a very vivid memory of Dave just turning around and looking at me and his face just went, <gasps> and I was like, <laughs> and um, there is also, um, so in the like vision and aftermath of that game, there were lots of cameras around because um, we were in the away end. So lots of people came to then film us next to the Victory Vikings who had their banners and their drums and all of that kind of stuff. And there's actually vision of me next to Angela with one hand over my mouth and one hand on her like arm being like, dude, what the fuck? What the fuck happened? And that's actually my Twitter header. So if you go to my Twitter, you will see that photo. Um so yes, that is why Cogra is my beloved for the uh being the birthplace the spiritual home of the Karakuni Cross Olympico so that's story story time with Marissa to end (laughs) this episode um we're done we're done love it um it's all right everyone breathe it's gonna be fine everything's gravy they don't want it so it's fine um thank you for tuning in if you haven't already we dropped a very special episode yesterday with u.s women's national team legend brandy chastain so make sure you go check that out you can also watch the full chat on youtube so if you want to look at us just looking lovingly at brandy chastain that option is there for you um as always though we're over on espn.com.au and the espn app yes oh sorry what what (laughs) I say live, live pod. pod. What makes you think I was gonna forget it? I don't know because I forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a live pod coming up the day oh after the final. Um, I'm pretty sure you can still register for that. The link there is uh, on our social media at the Far Post Pod. So make sure you come on down and hang out with us for a little bit the day after the tournament. It's gonna be fun regardless but we're hoping it's gonna be a little extra fun god willing um uh what else do i usually say here we're on espn 
make sure you subscribe right, to the pod. Fine. No, you're fine. Um, Spotify, Apple, Google, blah, blah, blah. At the Fafo Pod. Go, Tillies. See you. Thank you.